Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey there, everyone. I hope you are having a great day. I certainly am. I'm actually going to dive right into this episode because it's a really cool one and I don't want to waste your time today. Other days, I'll waste your time, but today I'm not going to waste your time. You are going to hear today from a woman named Sue Jakes. She is a really just one of the most, I don't know, surprising women I've ever met. I, I, uh, I actually got to know her during a speaking course that I took this year. And I've mentioned this in other episodes, but I, I did a talk in Boulder in May about positivity. And Sue was one of the other women in the course. Now, she'd already been on the speaking tour for many, many years, but she's looking to reinvent herself a little bit. See, her previous career in speaking, and you may want to check this out on her website, suejakes.com, and Jakes is J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, like Jacques or something. Anyway, her name's Sue Jakes. Um, But check it out. She used to talk a lot about manners and... Uh, professionalism. Uh, She wrote a book called What the Fork. It's hilarious. But um, now she is moving forward with a much deeper message. And it all has to do with her previous career many years ago, being a forensic death investigator. So today we are going to dig in to many life lessons she has learned, and they are really good ones. So get ready for a really fun and unique episode today. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to have my friend Sue Jakes on the show today. Sue, welcome. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm very, very excited. I haven't seen you in quite some time, and we really need to catch up and learn more about what you've been up to. So from listening to the intro here, everybody knows what you've done in your past life, and that is that you used to be a death investigator. Can you tell me about that? That's right, Nicole. For nearly 20 years, I was a forensic death investigator at the medical examiner's office. And what that means is that I have special medical training that allowed me to attend at scenes of sudden death, often violent, and perform a medical investigation to find out why the person died. So, like, it's bringing up for me and mo- probably most of the people listening shows like CSI and Law and Order and, and this sort of like glamorized look at how the people who are first on the scene uncover, you know, what happened. Is that what it was like? It was kind of like that, but not nearly as glamorous as they make it out on television. Uh, I, I do say that Hollywood has really glamorized homicide, and and we as a society have become really quite enamored with what happens when somebody dies. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, after investigating thousands of deaths, 
death so that there is nothing glamorous about it. So why are people enamored by this? Uh, well, again, I think a lot of it is because of what the media has, has shown us. And death has be death has gone from being in the background of our lives, something we don't talk about, to being in the very foreground of our lives, something we're very curious about because everywhere we look, we see evidence of it. Television, movies, video games, it's everywhere. So, it, okay, so I want to dig into this actually a little more. So everybody everybody dies at some point in their life. I've never done a show about death before. I mean, this is, this is a big topic. And this is one of the things that probably keeps us alive is knowing that someday we're going to die. So what, tell me some more about this concept about how people, I don't know what, when you, okay, just bring it on. Tell me a little more. Fill us in. Well, I think I think what what you may be getting around to Nicole is something that I learned after all these death investigations and that is death is the ultimate equalizer. It's the one thing that we all have in common and as much as we think we're different and unique, which we are, there is one thing that binds us together and that is the undeniable fact that we are all going to die at least in the physical world. And as much as death is the ultimate equalizer, so is grief. And grief is something that humanizes us. It's when we really realize how much we need one another, when we're in uh, moments of astounding grief, which occur at times in our lives that are never easy to get through. But it, are, it is those things that bind us together as human beings and uh, enable us to form strong bonds, sometimes even with strangers. So, and this is so, um, oh, just so compelling because you would show up at a scene and that person is already gone. So there's, there's not any grief that can be had between that person and you, or maybe a little bit, because actually that's a good question. Did you grieve for each person that you had to investigate? It's a really interesting, uh, concept that you've brought forward. I was there uh, with a with a different perspective. My perspective was to act on behalf of that person and make sure that their story was told without judgment, with due respect, and in a factual matter. So I had to keep feelings out of it. However, I must admit that at times there were certain cases that touched me because I could relate to them. And in those cases, I would I, would, I wouldn't call what I felt grief, but I certainly would call it compassion and uh, sometimes a level of, of gratitude for the fact that I could still go home uh, to the people who matter to me and know that that person's people would soon realize that they were gone. And yeah, that, that was sad sometimes. So when you would, so you were the person who would then tell their families on occasion, I would do that. For example, if there was a, a motor vehicle accident or uh, someone had died at work or f for whatever reason, they were apart from their family when the death occurred, then very often I officer would attend at that person's family home and notify uh, the people there of the death of their loved one. Wow. So that had to be a, a very powerful or life-changing moment each time you did it. It is, and as your listeners will see if they watch the Evoso video, um, I used to wish that doorbells were pause buttons, 
And I say that because with every doorbell I rang, I knew that I would be devastating someone's perfectly ordinary life by notifying them about someone else's completely unexpected death. And that for me was an opportunity to share kindness. Well, that's true. And you can't go backwards from that moment like that. Those people's lives are changed forever. Forever. Yep. And you're a big and you're a part of that, whether you, you know it or not. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how, how did you, um, were there times in this previous career where you had to kind of second guess what you were doing? Uh, Do you mean as a choice, as a, as a choice of profession? Yeah. And, and just emotionally, did you have times where it sort of put you over the edge? You know, I I can truly say I did not. I was very proud of my work. I was very proud to be involved in uncovering the truth and making sure that people's stories were told without judgment. As I said earlier, I never doubted my profession choice. Uh, I must say it was incredibly busy. I was on call 24-7, 365 for over 18 years. Sometimes I, I doubted that part of it because it was very fatiguing. But no, it was a it was a very rewarding career. So how do you maintain it? Now you're married, correct? Yes, I am. Yes. Um, and how do you maintain a relationship when you're working 24 seven in and a more than full time and a emotional full time job? That's a, uh, um, in my case, it was very, I was very blessed and I'm very blessed because I married someone who's also on call 24 7, 365. My husband was a funeral director, believe oh. it or not. <laughs> <laughs> we call our match sorry. Made in heaven. And so we both got it. And I was bound by confidentiality. I was not allowed by law to speak about the cases that I investigated, nor am I still. And so uh, I got home and I knew that there was somebody waiting for me who was going through the same thing from a different perspective and who didn't want to needle me to find out what was going on because I wasn't in a position to discuss it. So let me ask this then you, you and your husband are both in the field of death and dying. We were yes. So did it, in a sense, help you live more fully? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have called this my journey from corpses to carpe diem because long ago I transitioned from from the science of death investigation as a medical investigator to the, uh, what will I call it, to the soulfulness of living life. I saw so many unfinished lives, so many lives where people were making choices that were having such a negative effect on their happiness, their potential, their relationships. And both my husband and I, having seen that from our perspectives, decided that we weren't going to live like that. We were going to make good choices, respectful choices. And uh, we did that and we've lived beautiful lives as a result. Wow. And this concept of living or having an unfinished life, it's very powerful. It is. And each one of us today, I don't want to bring people down, but that could be us today. Our life could end today and it would remain unfinished if we don't choose to live it with absolute gratitude and fullness and passion. Well, I feel there's so many things that you've 
brought up just in these first few minutes that I have a feeling are going to roll into the life lessons you've learned as a death investigator. And I use that term because this is a project that you're rolling out. Am I correct? That's right. I've just released my new website, Life Lessons from a Death Investigator, and I'm going there. You know, my for I've been a speaker and an author and a consultant for nearly 16 years now. And it's time for me to take my message a little bit deeper. So until this point, I've been speaking about professionalism, civility, respect. These are all things I still firmly believe in and that I still deliver to corporate audiences and association audiences. And yet this this nudge was coming at my heart and soul, inviting me to go a little bit deeper and talk about some of the life lessons that I learned as a death investigator. So that's what I'm doing. Even with the civility and the professionalism, you use the word respect. I have a feeling that it all ties in to this next phase of your life anyway. Absolutely. If I learned anything from all those deaths, thousands of death investigations, it's that respect needs to underpin every relationship that we have, whether we know the person or not, whether they're a complete stranger or on the other side of the world, whether it's virtual or face-to-face. Respect for ourselves first and respect for others, those we share this planet with, is what makes for beautiful relationships. Wow, I love that. Respect for ourselves. This is something our listeners are probably nodding their heads at because they may be out running their weekend 5K and kicking themselves in the butt for something they think they didn't do well or belittling themselves. And and really, if you can firmly create that foundation of self-respect, you are on a good path. And so, it's it takes, it takes effort. We can all do it. It takes a little bit of effort and a lot of commitment. So how do we do it? We choose to do it. We choose to honor that place in us that meets that place in one another and to honor the fact that we all have things going on in our lives that sometimes we don't reveal or sometimes we don't uh, care to share. Mm -hmm. Have to. Mm -hmm. Yep. And maybe it's uh, acceptance becomes a big part of that. When you honor yourself, you're honoring all of you, the good, bad, and ugly. Exactly. Because nobody is perfect. There isn't such a thing. And so by honoring that we can try every day to do something kinder, to do something uh, with more compassion. We can try to reach out and help others. Uh, it's a little bit of effort every day leads to a huge, massive change over time. Well, let's dig into these life lessons. How many life lessons do you talk about? There are eight. Do you want to go through them today? Sure, I can go through them quickly. Let's uh, do it each, because... Each, it, we need people to go back to your website to learn even more, but we're going to tease people a little bit today. So let's do it. So each lesson comes with a story based on one of my experiences as a death investigator, of course, maintaining that confidentiality that I'm um, honored to maintain. But yeah, there are eight life lessons from a death investigator uh, regarding my journey from corpses to carpe diem. The first one is that gratitude has no expiry date. And that's based on the fact that sometimes we think if we haven't thanked somebody and a certain amount of time has gone by, it's too late. But I'm here to say it's never too late. And if there's somebody that you wish you had said thanks to, do it. Do it. Send a note. Pick up the phone. Ask them for coffee. And even if they're already gone, 
you know, express it, write it down, get it out of your system and out into the world because your gratitude grows when you do that. The second, sorry, go ahead. uh, Let's talk about these for a second. So what does gratitude mean? Hmm. Appreciation. Gratitude is appreciation for not just things, like not just physical things, but for being treated kindly or for being supported or for being told something that may have at the time been challenging, but in, in retrospect helped you grow. Yeah. It's the big things, the big things that we can say thank you for. Well, and sometimes it's a very small action that is a big thing. So a lot of people probably hear gratitude and they're like, yeah, somebody, you know, gave me a bunch of money to get through college or, you know, whatever it is. But like you said, it's not always the things. It could be something someone did who you may never see again when you were having a bad day. You know, I'll give you a little quick story about this. I'm having lunch tomorrow with a woman named Marilyn. And uh, I was reconnected with Marilyn about two years ago by chance uh, in a place where I was getting my fingernails done of all places. And she had asked the nail tech about the boots I was wearing and how she could maybe get in touch with me to find out where I got them. It was so random. And so the nail tech and her started talking. Long story short, the fact that I was a death investigator came up. And the woman, Marilyn, said, oh, my gosh, I think she investigated my husband's death. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so that evening, uh, with with my permission from my nail tech, Marilyn phoned me. And she told me that for 22 years, 22 years, she had wished that she had called to thank me for my kindness at the time of her husband's unexpected death. And she taught me that gratitude has no expiry date because when she took that moment to say thank you with tears in her eyes, the thank you that waited 22 years, I can't tell you what happened. And we're friends now. We do stuff. We go for lunch. And it's really cool. I, I, owe, I owe Marilyn for that lesson. Well, I think it has an impact on the person delivering the thank you, but what impact did it have on you? Oh, I, I was blown away to see the depth of her gratitude. And that had been, it had been un, undealt with for so long. And it was so big. And when she released it, we both grew as a result. It was, it was just such a lovely thing. It was fantastic. Because growth is an important part of what we do in life. Boom. Yes. And, and that, that, that experience leads me to life lesson number two, which is that regrets are preventable. Ooh. Marilyn told me, when we had the chance to sit down and talk about how she had held this this gratitude inside of her for 22 years, she told me that she didn't want to die holding that regret. She would have regretted it if she hadn't told me that. And by chance, we found each other again after all that time. And so now she can live her life without that regret. She can finish her life without that regret. And it was very powerful. I think the word regret is very powerful in itself. It's almost a bad word. (laughs) I don't like it. Nobody likes to live that way. Will you explain what you define? How do you define a regret? Well, I agree with you that it's not a positive word. And so I've replaced it with a new word. And I call it pregret. And a pregret 
is a way to avoid a regret. And by that I mean, when you are about to do something you're not sure, should you or shouldn't you, I, I encourage people to ask themselves, am I going to regret this later? If I don't do this, or if I do do this, am I going to regret it? And by looking at it through that lens, I call that a pregret, because you're predetermining the possibilities of either getting joy or going into a place of fear. And by pregretting something, you can predetermine the outcome in many, many cases. So you kind of have to be thinking. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you kind of do. You know, the, here's the deal, though. Everybody has regrets at different levels. It may be that they ate something like they started out their day by eating a freaking Twinkie or something, and they regret that because it start them, started them off on a bad note. It could be something very big in their lives. They had an affair or, you know, something very tough. So can pregrets work on the micro and macro level? I think so. I mean, the the starting off with the Twinkie for breakfast thing, we've all done that, whatever our version of the Twinkie is for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. We've all done that. And we probably do ask ourselves on some deep level, am I going to regret this? And then, oh, well, you know, we have to weigh these things out. That's not going to change your life. It just might change part of your day. Exactly. Or it might change the way your jeans fit that night. But But it's the big stuff. It's the big decisions, and I believe that we have an internal uh, internal system that if we ask the question the right way to ourselves, to our soul, we can predict whether or not what we are about to do is something we will regret. And wow. so take a thought. It just takes a moment to take the thought. So for to train people to or retrain them to think this way, what do you what do you recommend? Well, back to the pause. I think it's important to take just a moment to pause yep. and think about what you're about to do, say, uh, think, um, whatever it is, pause for a second and think about the ultimate consequences of that. You get to choose. You may still regret it, but sometimes you can help avoid a regret by pausing for a moment. I like the pause. Did you hear that? We paused. That was good. I didn't just immediately fill it. I took two seconds to immediately fill a pause. I need to work on this. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to number three. The third life lesson from a death investigator is that asses are assets in disguise. Oh. And so that's a little bit uh, sassy, but it's true. And I'm sure that everyone who is listening to this podcast has worked with a jerk. Uh, or lived with a jerk, or lived beside a jerk, or experienced a jerk. Most of us many jerks have uh, graced our lives. And in retrospect, I found that, and I, I will call them asses, I found that in hindsight, every single ass I had the, had the encounter with ended up being an asset, because I learned from them. And the coolest part is, now I can recognize them in advance and know how to deal with them because I've dealt with them before. They've touched my life in such a way that was so memorable that they've left a fingerprint. And now I can recognize them and I know how to deal with them and they no longer have a, a negative influence in my life. Okay, let's do this. Everybody listening, think of an ass. 
badass in your life. <laughs> and okay, let's go back to number one. Have gratitude for them. Even in their assiest, assiest of moments, have gratitude because that person in the end is probably not a bad person. They just don't know how to be other than an ass. And and to some people, they're probably not asses just to you in the way that you, you know, have the ability to interact with them. I love that. That's so cool. And P.S. We've all been the ass. Oh, shoot. We have to take. Oh, no, you're right. We do have to take some responsibility <laughs> there too. <laughs> so sometimes it's it's just it's not the person it's the behavior yeah and sometimes we rub each other the wrong way sometimes they've had a bad day sometimes we woke up on the wrong side of the bed whatever it is we've all been there we've all done that but let's stop malingering about it and move on and just say okay so you're going to be an asset in my life carry on yep carry on well let's go on to number four Number four, this is that compassion trumps cash. Mm. Wow. Anytime we have a chance, uh, my personal motto, my professional motto is very succinct and it's very true to me. And it's what I live my life by and what I make every decision through is my personal motto, which is when in doubt, choose kindness. And whenever I have a decision to make that's tough, I'll look at all the facts but I will ultimately make my decision based on that motto. What is the kindest thing that I can do in this moment? When in doubt, choose kindness. You can give someone money. That'll help. There's no doubt about it. But you can also share your compassion with them. And uh, sometimes that goes a lot further. I, I like this concept. The The first thing it brought up to me was a lesson that my husband and I learned years and years ago when we would make some decisions in our racing career. This is all the way back, you know, a decade or so ago. And one day we looked at each other and we just said, if we're making a decision based solely on financial reasons, it is generally not the right decision. I thought that was interesting. Very wise. So it, it's wise. That doesn't bring in so much of the compassion part, but it, that that's a that comes from this discussion. But yeah, I mean, we all get really tied up on money, 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 money. Is it going to save us twenty bucks? Is it you know whatever? And uh, a lot of times, when you're so tied up in that, you can't step back and look at the bigger picture. Like you said, compassion is probably the number one emotion that. Uh, that we can give in this world. It is. And, and Nicole, I see us coming around into a more kind, a kinder and compassionate culture. I really do. I see, I see courtesy, kindness and compassion and compassion making a comeback. Oh, come back, making a comeback. How did it have to go away? Did was it, I know, did it go away or has it always been there and it just takes maturity in life to realize it or what? It's been muffled. If it hasn't gone away, it's certainly been muffled. Uh, but it is making a comeback. And we are responsible, each of us. And I encourage you, all of you who are listening, to help us with this comeback. Make courteous, kind, and compassionate choices in your life. And you can be part of a huge change. Well, let's move on to number five. Number five, empathy is not a spectator sport. Ooh. Wow. And, uh Empathy is big, and it's when we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes and try, 
to understand what they may be going through from their perspective. And it's hard because in life what we what we do is we judge people or we we uh, see other people through our own lens. And that's, that's kind of all we can do. We can only see th- people through our experiences. But empathy involves trying to understand things through their circumstances. And I learned that from thousands of deaths to when I realized that we all have such different life stories. Everyone is unique. And I can't judge people based on my story because my story is so different. And so to take, uh, uh, try to take a, a look at life through the lens of empathy has certainly made me a kinder person. Let's talk about empathy versus sympathy. Mm. I think sympathy, we feel sorry for somebody because something has happened and we sympathize with them. And empathy is when we can feel the pain ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yep. And sympathy may involve a little bit of judgment here and there. I mean, it doesn't mean you're not sad for someone, but empathy Mm -hmm. is the opposite of judging. Yes. And sympathy is a little bit more arm's length. Empathy is when Mm -hmm. we embrace, we embrace the feeling. Yep. Wow. These are good. These are heavy, but good. Thank you. And there's lightness in them. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Yeah. The sixth one, forgiveness brings freedom, and it truly does. We've heard this so many times, and sometimes we have to forgive things that, well, we'll never hear the words I'm sorry for, and very often, very often, the forgiveness is for ourselves, for our own choices. So let's start there. Let's start forgiving ourselves for some of the choices or words or decisions we've made, and then we can let that quietly... uh, touch all the people around us um, by forgiving. We, we all uh, usually do things with good intentions, and sometimes we mess up. And so let's forgive each other, shall we? You possibly, are you a psychiatrist in disguise? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like anyone who is having anything go on in their lives that needs a little jolt just needs to tune back into this podcast from time to time and hit on one of these lessons. We all are hard on ourselves. We need yeah. to, we need to practice this. You're absolutely right. Do, yeah. Making a bad choice doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like you made a bad yeah. choice and, and you've realized that and you've atoned for it and forgive yourself. It's time to move on. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And when, you know, when we were talking earlier, just a moment ago about empathy, I, I just want to clarify something that I came to realize. And that is that sometimes people's wings are broken and they need to hold on tightly to us so that they can use our wings to soar. Mm-hmm. And that to me is empathy. That's empathy. When we allow them to hold on to our wings, we can embrace them and we can help them soar because mm-hmm. they're broken. Yep. So there's a a part of giving back in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. What's number seven? Number seven, we've already talked about that. And that is death is the ultimate equalizer. Mm. It's the one thing we have in common, no matter what. Every, we are different in so many ways. We are the same then. And I can tell you that when we see bodies on the autopsy table, when they're opened up, pretty much look the same on the inside. You know, I've never seen, I tell people, I've never seen a jewel-encrusted heart or a logo-embossed liver. 
where <laughs> we wear we wear, we wear all those embellishments on the outside, but on the inside we're all the same. And I can tell you that. I can mm-hmm. tell you that we're the same. And so we need to embrace that and look at our sameness rather than our difference. Yep. I like it. I agree. It's very true. Especially right now today, there's a lot of judgment and us versus them mentality oh. in this world and in our country. And there's, there's so many thems, aren't there? Yeah. There's just a lot them, of them, 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 them. There's a lot of thems. I mean, <laughs> you could have a category just for you, you know, 44-year-old mom of a four-and-a-half-year-old C-section, marriage, blah, blah, blah. You know, like you can make up your own category. There is, you could be an us versus them for the whole world. And there are certain people who live as me versus all of you. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a tough and lonely way to be. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yep. All right. We're on to the, oh my gosh, the final number eight. The final, the final life lesson from a death investigator, number nine, or sorry, number eight, <laughs> life, life goes on. Ah. Uh, after all the sadness, after all the grief, after the empathy, the compassion, after the death or the decision, life goes on and it can be a hell of a hard journey at times. Uh, But we need to have faith in ourselves and what we're capable of. And we need to put one foot in front of the other. And in so many ways you do this, Nicole, in so many ways your listeners are doing this and I've done it myself, one foot in front of the other. And that's how we get through the moment, the day, the race, Mm -hmm. the life. It's true. Uh, We've all had loss and in varying degrees. Um, I have a friend right now who just lost her husband uh, very dramatically and without warning. And it is, I've watched her struggle to just put the one foot in front of the other. And sometimes it's one hour at a time, 10 minutes at a time. You're right. You're right. And that's why we need to live with, um, you know, maybe adopting some of these life lessons can help people get through things or make decisions that will uh, ease the path for them. I know that with Doug and I, my husband and I, we we have chosen to live a life of gratitude and joy and respect and life, just life. In fact, when Doug retired as a funeral director, he bought himself a boat, and we had to name the boat. And given our past careers, we came up with a perfect name for our boat. It's called Life After Death. And we spend <laughs> many countless hours boating, enjoying uh, enjoying the life that we've learned to enjoy and value because of the deaths that we both were involved with. Well, we talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna move us. I'm gonna shift us a little bit because sure. This podcast um, was first formed around the concept of people going out and doing a 5K run on the weekend or in a race or whatever, and um, we haven't talked about that yet, yet. This is an important part of who you are, and you picked up running, literally picked up running in the second half, you know, in your 40s, correct? I did. Mm-hmm. So tell me why, like why at that point in your uh, life, what's your background athletically and what does it mean to you that you can go out there and do a run? Okay. So this is, this is really 
so interesting to me how this all unfolded. I've always been active. I'm a Rocky Mountain girl, ski, hike, heli ski, um, cycling, mountain biking, all that stuff that you do when you're a Rocky Mountain girl. And I had never been a runner. I just, I, I'm five foot two. I just didn't never occurred to me to be a runner. And one New Year's Eve, I had this, I don't know what to call it, just this insight. You see, I was born curious. I was a good death investigator because I had such a sense of wonder. I would always wonder what happened. So my curiosity was always worked in my favor. And one day, New Year's Eve, I'm driving along and I had this incredible moment of wonder. And I thought, I wonder what it feels like to cross the finish line of a full marathon. That's how I started running. Oh, and it went all the way from zero to 26.2. From zero to 26.2. <laughs> I didn't start at 5K, 10K, half marathon. I'm like, I'm running a marathon. Wow. So that was New Year's Eve. Uh, the, I came home, did some quick research. I found a marathon in May. I uh, started training New Year's Day. Trained basically by myself. I'm a very slow runner. And I could not believe it when I finished that marathon in May. So what has running uh, done for you, mind and, and body and uh, soul? Well, first of all, it, it taught me discipline. Secondly, it blew me away to realize what I was capable of, mm. that I could do that. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, so I finished, after I finished the first marathon, somebody came up to me. And, oh, I'm sure all of you runners have heard this at some point. Somebody came up and said, it won't be long. You'll be doing another one. And I said, no, all I did was answer my question. I wonder what it feels like to cross the finish line of a marathon. And they went, yeah, uh-huh. And it couldn't <laughs> have been two, two weeks later. <laughs> I thought, well, if I, if I could do that one, I wonder, I wonder if I could do New York. Wow. So next thing I knew, I'm training, did New York. Never wow. going to run another marathon. The next thing I knew, I started thinking, well, if I could do two marathons, I wonder if I could do three in five years. <laughs> and the third one, I started, I trained, and I finished by myself. There was nobody at the finish line. I never told anybody what I was doing it. I didn't even know I was going to do it myself until that morning. I wasn't sure. I picked up my number, picked up my race package, and I was out there. I'm telling you, even the water stations were gone by the time I came in, but damn it, I did it. Wow. <laughs> Your curiosity is going to someday, who knows what you're going to go after next. This is amazing. Wow. I love that. And you know, I think most people can relate because you go through these times in a race, a marathon in particular, but any race, 5k, where it just hurts so bad. <sighs> and during the race, you're like, why do I do this? I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and then you just need to set a timer to count down <laughs> from the finish line until the point that your mind changes and you decide, you know what, yeah. maybe it wasn't so bad. <laughs> and, you know, you touched on this, Nicole, many times. I, I believe that you know it from a place that most don't. And I learned it in my own way when I was running these marathons of training. And uh, it's that you can do anything you set your mind to and if you're doing it for the right reasons and each of us has our own right reason for it and some of us like to do it in a group and some of us like to do it on our own and some of us do it because we are athletes and some of us do it because we're driven um, but for all of us it's such a sense of accomplishment and no matter whether it's 5k or 10 or an ultra marathon 
we all do them. And back to the life lessons from a death investigator, as you so beautifully pointed out in your Evoso talk, the marathon doesn't have to be physical. We all have marathons in our lives that take so much energy and effort and support and generosity and compassion from other people and for ourselves. And so life is a marathon and we get through it one foot in front of the other. True. Good. Great way to sum it up. Well, you bring up the Evoso talk. So everybody listening, you get yourselves over to NicoleDeBoom.com and look at the show notes on Sue Jake's interview because I am going to embed a video in there of Sue's Evoso talk. And you have to see this. Sue will blow you away. Not only does she review some of the life lessons, in fact, maybe all of them. However, the really cool thing is that she ends that talk with a big surprise, something you would never expect. Sue, do you want it? Should we let him in or should we leave him hanging? Your call, Nicole, sister. Hey, sister, <laughs> you call it. Well, let's just say that I had no idea Sue had any musical talents. So you need to get over there and check this thing out because she does one of the most amazing uh, numbers you're ever going to see. <laughs> I love it. So, Sue, we are over our 5K right now, and I end every episode. This is going to be hard for you, but I, I, I maybe not. We'll see. I end every episode by asking my guests to give the listeners one piece of advice, one thing, the most important thing that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way than they did before. What is yours? You know, I'm on this mission to reverse rudeness and revive respect and create more courteous cultures around the globe. And I'm going to ask your listeners to help me do that. So I've told you that my personal motto was when in doubt, choose kindness. And I believe that that's the ticket. I believe that that's the ticket. That's what matters for me. That's what has worked for me. And that's what's got me here. And so for all of you listening, Please join me in doing that yourselves. And when you don't know what to do, when you just don't know which way to go, what decision to make, choose the kindest route. And I'll see you at the other side of that. Perfect. Way to go. All right, Sue. Thanks so much today. Thank you, Nicole. Well, there you have it, folks. Eight life lessons from a bona fide forensic death investigator. In the end, choose kindness. I love this message. I believe in that message. I personally work hard to uphold that message. I, I actually truly related to all eight of the life lessons. And I think it's a really cool episode whenever you're in a place where you're wondering what the heck you're doing and you need a little bigger picture outlook get over to uh, run this world and check out the sue jakes episode it can't hurt to listen to this one every few months in your life well there you go i hope you enjoyed the show today and by the way if you have a chance to get over to itunes and write a review that would be awesome it will help me and it will help the uh, podcast show up more frequently. So I really appreciate anything you can do. And also, if you have recommendations for other people you think I should interview, 
please, please reach out to me and let me know. You can get my contact info on NicoleDeBoom.com. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this work. <laughs>